invite you to open your Bibles with me to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6. Matthew, chapter 6, preaching through Matthew this summer, and we've been in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. So we're kind of in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount this morning. And the title of the message is The Pursuit. The Pursuit. The word pursue means to reach or attain or secure something. So let me start with a question. What are you pursuing this morning? Maybe you had not thought about that, but take a minute to think about it. That question changed my life as a teenager. I went into Sunday school class, and I typically didn't pay attention in Sunday school, but we had a different teacher. We had a college student who was a female teaching our class that day, and she had our complete undivided attention. And she asked this question, what's the most important thing in your life? And I can tell you, because I knew the other teenagers in the room, they all lied. But it got me. I, I, it probably went in one ear and went out the other ear for them. But when I was asked the question, I knew I was a professing believer. I had been baptized in the church. I believe I was legitimately a child of God. But I had issues with lordship. And so when she asked the question, what's the most important thing in your life, I knew it wasn't God. And I knew that needed to change. So we're going to look at a passage in Matthew's Gospel that, atta- uh, that deals with that issue, if I can get my Bible open. I'm going to read the first verse, Matthew chapter 6. Let me just start with verse 24, and we'll move from there. Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. The word serve means to be slave to. In fact, it's the word when Paul writes all of his epistles, typically he says the Apostle Paul, a bondservant of the Lord Jesus Christ, He uses this word, serve. So you're a slave to something. Before you come to faith in Christ, you're a slave to sin. You're powerless to combat sin until you meet a Savior who can forgive you of your sin and give you eternal life but give you deliverance from the sins you're dealing with. So what's Jesus saying? No one can serve two masters. You're going to have a problem loving one, hating the other, or despising one and serving the other. So you can't serve two masters. You can't be a slave to two masters. In fact, it's interesting what the word master means. It's the word more often translated Lord. When in the New Testament it talks about the Lord Jesus Christ, the word is used here for Lord. So back to my question, what's the most important thing in your life? What I'm asking you is, what's Lord for you? What's your master? What are you indebted to? What are you a slave to? And so Jesus says you can't be a slave to two, so you've got to decide one or the other. And I think that's the problem in the church in America today is we're trying to live in both worlds. We're saying, you know, I kind of like the stuff of the world, but I want to have Jesus too. So Jesus says, you can't serve two masters. In fact, he's talking about money. He's talking about wealth. It's interesting to me, out of 38 parables that Jesus teaches in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John's Gospels, there's 38 separate distinct parables. 16 of them have to do with money. Why do you think that is? Because that's our struggle. Earlier in chapter 6, he says that where your treasure is, there your heart will be. So whatever it is you value the most, that's what you're worshiping today. Whatever you value the most, that's got your heart. Look at someone's bank account, you can probably tell where their heart is. So you can't serve two masters. In fact, 16 out of 38 parables of Jesus deal with money. One out of 10 verses in the New Testament deal with money. Scripture offers about 500 verses on prayer Less than 500 verses on faith, over 2,000 verses on money. You ever thought about that? I know there's people that hear preachers think, all you preachers talk about is money. 
And I don't talk about money much. But it's an indication where your heart is, where your treasure is. If you're serving the things of this world, you're going to be pursuing money to attain those things of the world. If you're pursuing God, he's taking care of you. So you can't serve two masters. Joshua 24, verse 15 says, If it's disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves today whom you will serve. And he gives them some options. Whether the gods which your father served, which were beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you're living. But then hear what he says. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Don't raise your hand, but raise your heart. Have you come to that place in your life where you said, I don't care what everybody else does. I care, but it's not going to impact what I do. As for me and my house, the Lord is the Lord. There can only be one. Lord means Lord. I think the struggle we have as teenagers, and and I just said we have as teenagers. I used to be a teenager. I know that's hard to believe. Like 100 years ago. I'm not as old as dirt, but I remember when mud was invented. I still have some of the clothes they were wearing up here for 50. I got a pair of chucks. If I'd known, I'd have worn them. I'm saving them to be buried in them because they're falling apart. They may not outlast me. But here's the struggle. We come to faith in Christ, and the issue we deal with is lordship. You come to Christ just as you are, yes, as Savior, but he is Lord. And so he's going to begin a work in your life that will bring you to acknowledge him as Lord. It should be happening in your life. If you've been a Christian for a while and you're still struggling with lordship issues, you need to go back to step one. Make sure you're a Christian. So can't serve two masters. You're either going to love one and hate the other or serve one and despise the other. Lord means Lord. In fact, the first two commandments in the Ten Commandments, the first one is you shall have no other gods before me. That means before my face. No other gods. Then the other one is no other idols because you're going to worship those idols, and God says, you, don't, you can't have any other idols. Why, why are idols so comfortable for us? In fact, we find what, when, when Moses was on the mountain getting the Ten Commandments, what were the children of Israel doing? Creating an idol. Why is that? Because there's comfort in having an idol. You can hold it, you can touch it, you can move it, you can control it. It stays where you put it. It's lifeless, and it will not give life. So you can't serve two masters. So let's look at the anxious pursuit. Let me continue reading verses 25 and following. 25 through 30. For this reason. Okay, stop right there. For this reason. What does that mean? What I've just taught you, what Jesus has just said, you can't have two masters. For this reason, here's the application. For this reason, I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink or what, or nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the sky. They do not sow, nor do they gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And you, who of you, being worried, can add a single hour to his life? And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil nor spin. Yet I say to you, not even Solomon in all of his glory clothes himself like one of these. But if God so clothed the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? For this reason, so if we we haven't settled the lordship issue and we start reading this, we're going to be worried about the things that people of the world worry about, so we need to refer to step one. That is, who's lord of your life? If, If God's not lord of your life and the stuff of this earth is lord of your life, you're going to worry about having the stuff of this life. He said, why are we worried about life? We tend to worry about things we can't control. 
I've struggled with that over the years. I find myself sometimes getting to a point where I realize, you know what, I'm, I'm worried about stuff I have no control over. In fact, you'll find the longer you live that control is an illusion. You think you control something, you really don't. Until we acknowledge that God is in control and it's all his anyway, we'll worry about whether we're getting our fair share or not. So Jesus says, why are you worried? I read a survey that said 40% of worry is things that could never happen. So 40% of the things we worry about couldn't even happen because some things we're worried about are diametrically opposed to you. If this happened, this over here couldn't happen. Anybody play the, the lay awake at night and stare at the ceiling game? You're so worried about something you can't sleep. 40% of our worry is things that will never happen. 30% are things in the past that can't be changed. 12% is criticism from others that's mostly untrue. Do you worry about what other people say about you? 10% is about health, which, by the way, gets worse with worry. <laughs> we worry about our health. We're shortening our life by worrying about our health. 8% of worry is real problems that we will face, just 8%, but we still don't worry about them. It's a lordship issue, remember? If you're lord of your life or if the stuff of this world is lord of your life, then you've got reason to worry because you can't hold on to it. But if Jesus is the lord of your life, you have no reason to worry. You're worried about what you'll eat. You're worried about what you'll drink. You're worried about food or clothing for your body, what you'll put on. Think about that. Parents, don't raise your hand. Don't point at any students in the room. Have you ever been getting ready for school and you, your daughter's up staring at her closet? It's full of clothes, and what does she say? I got nothing to wear. Now think about Jesus is talking to people who had limited wardrobes. They may have only had one or maybe two things to wear, and he's telling them don't worry about clothing. What would he say to our generation? I preached in Eastern Europe. I had a 15-year-old interpreter. He had two outfits. He had a pair of corduroy pants and a pair of blue jeans. It was 95 degrees outside, and he swapped between wearing blue jeans and corduroy pants. He didn't even have a toothbrush. We gave him stuff while we were there to outfit him, but it reminded me, if you, if you think you've got it bad in the United States, go to another country and see what they wear. Go to another country and see what they have. And those are the places the church is being persecuted and it's flourishing. It's a lordship issue. Why are we worried? In fact, what it says about the lordship is we don't trust God. If you're worried about something God should be in charge of, you're basically saying, God, I can't count on you. So Jesus says, isn't your body more than food or your life more than food or your body more than clothing? So Jesus is about to use a PowerPoint illustration. We use screens to show PowerPoint or ProPresenter. Jesus is about to point at something with the power of God and say, look at the birds. Now keep in mind, they're on the hillside, right? Sermon on the Mount, outdoors, thousands of people gathered. And I think a bird's flying by, and Jesus points at the bird. Consider the bird. He doesn't say imitate the bird, don't try to fly, but consider the bird. And what are they to consider? They don't sow, they don't reap, they don't gather in the barns. And yet God takes care of them. The bird doesn't care where his next meal is coming from. God will provide. So Jesus says, be more like that. Consider the birds of the air. In fact, he said, you're worth so much more than that. Luke chapter 12, verse 6 and 7 says, are not five sparrows sold for two cents? Yet not one of them is forgotten before God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear you're more valuable than many sparrows. So what's Jesus doing? He's pointing at a bird that it, five of them went for the smallest coin they had, two cents. 
He's basically saying if they are valuable enough for God to take notice of them and take care of them, how much more are you valued by God? Listen, you are valued enough that God sent his only son to die in your place. So next time you see a bird, just thank God. God, thank you that you love that bird, but you care for me more than you do that bird. And it does bother me a little bit in that verse that I read. All the hairs of my head are numbered. My number is shrinking. Don't look at me, Howie. Howie's growing the goatee, too. You know, you figure if you can't grow it on top of your head, you grow it somewhere else. And the older you get, it grows in places you wish you wouldn't grow. So look at the birds there. Who, by being worried, can add a single hour? Now, some translations use a cubit, which was 18 inches. So whether Jesus is saying, how many of you, by worrying, can add 18 inches to your height or a single day to your lifespan? In fact, worrying is going to take days off your lifespan. So consider the birds. Why are you worried about clothing? Then he, then he uses another illustration. He points at the lilies of the field and the grass of the field. And he said, consider them. Literally, to learn thoroughly, note carefully. They don't toil. They don't spin. They're not collecting cotton and dyeing it with clamshells, which is what they did back then. They're not getting on a spin and making thread out of it, so they make a garment out of it. And yet, you know what? Even Solomon in all of his glory wasn't clothed like one of these. In fact, it's interesting, Second Chronicles 9, 3 and 4, when the, king, when the queen of Sheba had seen the wisdom of Solomon, the house which he had built, the food at his table, the seating of his servants, the attendance of his ministers, and their attire, his cupbearers and their attire, and his stairway by which he went up to the house of the Lord, she was breathless. The queen of Sheba looked at Solomon and saw what he wore and what he had to wear, what his attendants, his servants had to wear. It left her breathless. And what Jesus is saying is, as well as Solomon was clothed, these lilies of the valley outclothed him. And what is going to happen to the lilies of the valley? What's going to happen to the grass of the field? It's going to be used for fuel for a fire. It's here today. Tomorrow it's going to be cast into the furnace. Aren't you worth much more than that? Then he uses a phrase, O you of little faith. If you look at the gospel accounts, four more times he's going to say, you of little faith. It always refers either to their worrying about food or their lifespan. When he, hit, when he calmed the storm on the Sea of Galilee, he looks at his disciples and says, Why were you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Oh, you of little faith. So if our faith's in our stuff, we have a reason to worry. But if our faith's in Almighty God, what Jesus is saying is, you don't need to worry. You don't need to be anxious. You don't need to lay awake at night. In fact, I would encourage you, God may be laying something on your heart right now that you're worried about. Be honest with him and say, you know what, God? I am worried about that. I'm anxious. I've lost sleep over that. I'm worried. Would you take that away from me? Now, Hebrews 11, verse 6 says, he's talked about little faith. Hebrews 11, 6, without faith it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. So what's Jesus saying? Rather than worry about it, depend on the Lord for it. Now, some of you are going to think, okay, if I'm not supposed to worry about it, if the birds don't spin or sow, they're not scattering seeds for a harvest, if the lilies of the field don't sow their garments, then I guess all I do is sit back and become a few potato. No, because Ephesians 2.10 says you're his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. 
which God prepared beforehand so that we should walk in them. So this is not an excuse to become lazy. It's, it's a, a command to quit worrying. The last thought is the first pursuit. I asked you at the beginning, what's the most important thing in your life? Jesus is about to give us the answer in these last few verses, 31 through 34. Do not worry then. So based on what he's just taught them, he's made the case to don't worry. So stop worrying, saying what will we eat or what should we drink or what will we wear for clothing. For the Gentiles eagerly seek all of these things. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will take care of itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So don't worry. Jesus is speaking to a group of people and saying, in case you worry sometimes, don't. No, he's saying, because you're already worried, stop. Trust God. Place your faith there, not in the things that you're pursuing. Worry, worry says a lot about your view of God. If you find yourself worrying a lot, what you're saying is God's not able. God's not all-powerful. God's not all-knowing. God's not all-present. And the truth is, he's all of those things. He's able to do even more than you could ask or think, according to Ephesians. So stop worrying. And then he uses the illustration of the Gentiles. The Gentiles eagerly seek these things. Literally, they crave intensely. So in other words, those without God, their only hope is in the stuff of this world. And they intensely crave it. But God knows what you need. In fact, last week we looked at the fact he knows before you even ask. So rather than me pursuing the things of this world, what am I to pursue? Well, he answers that question. Seek first his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. He used, he's used the word righteous several times on the Sermon on the Mount. Back in chapter 5, he says, Unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven got to stop a minute and think, well, first of all, what does righteous mean? It means right in the eyes of God. It means your relationship with God is right. And he's using the word your heavenly father in this passage, meaning there are people following Jesus that are already counted among the faithful, the followers of Christ. And he says, your father knows you need these things. So unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you won't enter the kingdom of heaven. Then later on in chapter 6, he says, well, I better read it. Beware of practicing your righteousness before men, verse 1, to be noticed by them. So your righteousness needs to surpass the things of this world, but it also is not a righteousness that you perform just to get the approval of men. Your Heavenly Father knows you need all these things, so seek first. Put it at the top of the list and don't have anything else on the list. When I read the Ten Commandments and I heard you should have no other gods before me, I thought that meant... As long as he was number one on the list, there could be other things on the list. No, it means no other gods before my face. What's God saying? God's saying, as I look at you and follow your life, I don't want to see you having any other gods. You can only have one Lord, and it needs to be Jesus. So seek first his kingdom. Seek first his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Paul puts it this way in Philippians chapter 4, 19. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Are those true verses? Is the Bible true? Can you believe it? Then why do we still worry? Some of you are going to leave here today worried the fact you're still worrying. What are you anxious about? If you find yourself worrying or anxious, come back to this verse, verse 33. 
Are you seeking first His kingdom and His righteousness? Because the things you need will be added to you because God knows you need them before you even express it. Now, He still wants you to ask. We talked about that last week. Why do we ask for things that God already knows we need? It's because if we didn't, we wouldn't connect the fact He's supplying those needs. We'd take it for granted. We'd think we did it. But you come before God and say, God, I am desperately needy for you. Even to the point of, God, I am anxious today. I'm worried. I I have a spirit of worry. I'm not even sure what I'm worried about. It seems to be more than one thing. Be honest with him and ask him to take the worry away. Seek first his kingdom. So don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow worry for itself. Let's pray together.